2: What's going on, everyone? It is episode 213 of Top Rope Nation. We're going to be getting historical on you today. We're talking, you know, patriotism is in the air. It's a holiday weekend here in the United States. Happy early Independence Day to all of you out there. We're talking great American bash. It makes sense. It fits the theme. We've Got a great guest on the line. We're gonna be talking about some of his work as a historian of professional wrestling and then getting him involved in this discussion of the greatest great American bash matches of all time uh we're sticking to the early great american bash the original by the way we're not talking about the wwe or the nxt reincarnations but yeah the, uh, i got i gotta go the, the that's all
3: i was here
2: for <laughs> Damn it. justin's like that's all i prepped for man <laughs> 2000s
4: justin had a winning rant where he was going to convince us all that changing the name to the bash was the best thing that ever happened <laughs> in The, history of the, show.
3: the Great yeah The great American
4: part is what killed those shows in 04 and 05.
2: (laughs) Enjoy your afternoon, Justin. We'll see you next week now. (laughs) But uh, no, I got Kyle Ross on the line, Justin Joint, as always, here to break it all down. And the very special guest, if you're a big-time fan of professional wrestling, if you have been on the internet for any period of time, you are probably familiar with his work. His name is Graham Cawthon. He is the founder of the history of WWE.com. Uh, we've referenced this website many, many times here on Top Rope Nation. It's a great resource uh, if you're looking for any you know, untold tidbits about house shows, if you're looking for television results, pay-per-view results. I remember the first time I went to that site trying to find the first wrestling event I ever went to, a house show in the middle of Iowa in the 1980s with only a few thousand people there. There it was. Found the results. I'd always wondered about it. Graham had the results. Uh, and also, I should say, Graham, we have been friends for a long long time uh, somewhere around 20 years i was i was trying last night to think where did i meet graham coffin and it was either through wrestleview.com um, we were both involved like in the early days around 2001 ish of wrestleview.com with adam martin and paul nemmer but i think we might have actually met before that were you maybe on the the bret hart forums back on bret i know that's where i met paul nemmer The founder of RussellView.com. But I have
0: no memory of that, but that sounds exactly like somewhere I would be in that time frame.
2: (laughs) Like I said, it's been two decades. We have been friends for a long, long time. It's about time we do a podcast together.
0: This is the first time you've ever actually wanted to talk to me.
2: (laughs) 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 Finally, like it's time to break the ice here. Yeah. No, we bonded, of course, over pro wrestling and then our love for Bruce Springsteen over the years, talking about that's right going to some concerts of The Boss. Uh, yeah, so it's great to have you on Top Rope Nation, man. Welcome to the show.
0: I am so happy to be here. It's a perfect Saturday afternoon. I'm sorry, no, we're, we're listening to this in the future.
2: Um, but it's,
0: it's a perfect day to talk old school wrestling, which is one of my favorite hobbies.
2: Yeah, Graham, he's, he's got the theme down, man. He is in his wrestling room. You see the vintage posters behind him if you're watching on youtube.com. If you're listening on the podcasting feeds, check out the YouTube video so you can see that beauty. That wall is amazing. Love to see that here. Um, now, Graham, one of the things we like to do when we have people on the show for the first time is kind of just ask them, you know, what's your what's your background story as far as how did you become a pro wrestling fan? What are your earliest memories of watching this crazy sport?
0: Uh, my earliest memories probably would be of the 80s era. Um, I would have family extended family or i have neighbors who are watching it and honestly during that time frame you had the hogans and the macho mans and the ultimate warriors and the andres the giants and it was very it actually put me off because it seemed like oh that's the show where everyone screams like that was my that was my (laughs) how i took it um and then uh, fast forward a couple years i'm in fifth grade and i notice I don't know if maybe a cartoon I was watching on Saturday morning didn't air anymore. So I was flipping through the channels and I came across superstars. And I, I thought to myself, I'm probably not supposed to be watching this. So let's watch this. <laughs> and I gave it a shot. And it was fascinating. I honestly think the first episode of wrestling that I, I remember watching from beginning to end is the Superstars where Papa Shango put the curse on the Ultimate Warrior.
2: And (laughs) Warrior Warped backstage.
0: And I was thinking to myself, this is so weird. There is so much to talk about. There is so much to follow. There are so many personalities here. Um, And then just fast forward a few months, uh, which finger do I want to use? This finger. SummerSlam 92 uh, was the first show that I was a fan for the build of. And I'm just, there's no going back at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely iconic. Now, I know you moved around a lot, of course, 20 years of history. I know a little bit about you. Um, and so I believe, wasn't your father in the military?
0: He was, he was. Yeah. We, lived, we lived in West Germany during a bunch of the 80s, back when West Germany was still a thing. Uh, and I would watch the Armed Forces Network. And we would uh, once we move back to the States, fast forward a few years later, I'm a wrestling fan and I'm going through these old VHS tapes of what we recorded from television back on the Armed Forces Network. I found that they aired superstars and Saturday night's main event overseas back in the mid 80s. And nice. it just kind of added fuel to the fire of this. This thing is, this industry is so weird and fascinating and i need to learn more about it and how did how did they get to air that stuff overseas back in the mid 80s when there, apparently there was a there was a uh war happening in the u.s between all the wrestling companies and the WWF is going global already
2: mm-hmm. now were you so you were mostly a wwf fan growing up is that correct
0: yes because no matter where i lived i could always get it
2: right okay so like me, then probably and I, I, Justin talks about it. We, we all kind of grew up WWF first. I, Kyle had a little bit more background knowledge as a younger kid of what was going on in WCW and Crockett before that. Uh, but when, when we get into talking about the Great American Bash, these were events for me that I watched years later for the most part, I, like the mid 90s ones I saw live on pay-per-view. But the, the old stuff I had to go back and rewatch and rewatch again getting ready for this podcast so that i'm guessing that was pretty much the same for you as well
0: for me it was um probably 92 93 once wrestling grabs me i'm going to blockbuster every weekend yeah and i'm just renting whatever it is that has wrestling on it
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that would be my introduction and actually i know we'll talk about it later but
2: my god look at that wow the original VHS. Oh, no yeah, Amazing. Yeah. I mean that around that period, that's how I spent my weekends too. blockbuster. They always had a great selection, mostly WWF in my area, but one, once in a while I could get the old, the old Crockett and WCW stuff as well. So yeah, Kyle and Justin, if you have any questions as we go, feel free to jump into, I've got some stuff prepared too, but I, I wanted to ask you, what was kind of the Genesis for starting history of WWE? Because There's some other sites out there now that are kind of similar in nature to what you've done. But yours was, as far as I know, the first. I had never seen anything like that before, where you just charted out the entire like years of WWF results. And then you moved into other companies as well. All the house show results. What what made you want to start that website and become, honestly, one of the preeminent wrestling historians out there, in my view?
0: Well, that was never the goal. Um, Really, it was a lot of downtime but also a lot of curiosity Um, I grew up a fan during the mid 90s so that would be the pro wrestling Illustrated heyday where every month they would have there in in the arena results section shows from all over the world and there's no way that you could know that all these shows were happening all over the world unless you were subscribing to that or the Observer or something to that degree so when I would read through the magazines it just blew my mind that these shows were happening almost every day of the week, and there was no way for you to experience that unless you were there. These weren't TVT things, straight up house shows, and so I would love to, you know, look at the pages, look at the arena results, and all it would basically say is wrestler A beat wrestler B, or wrestler A beat wrestler B, and in my in my mind, I'm going, yeah, but how? You, yeah, I need more I need more like was this a 30 second match was, was this an hour-long match? So I always wanted to be able to convey the story of the match in as much brevity as possible so around 2001 maybe early 2002 uh, I Was working full-time. I took a year off college and so I just kind of like as as my own little pet project um, You know what was happening? The year that I became a fan, uh, the the iconic shows that you think of when when you become a fan during, as a, as you're a child, what was happening the day before, what was happening the day after. So I kind of wanted to build that bridge, and then just over time, uh, that year of results became two years of results, became ten years of results, became fifteen years of results, and because you you've told this much story but now kind of like if you think of it as a movie yeah but now i want to know the prequel i want to know what came before so like the headliner in january of this year what was he doing in december of the year before or in july of the year before you know when did he come into the territory so it just grew unto itself and then as it's growing people over the world are just organically finding it and as they find it, they contribute. And so it just become it feeds on itself. And that's how it's done for geez, I guess 20 years now. Wow.
4: You know, obviously it's grown into something so big right now. How many new pieces of info do you get per day, per week, per month now in twenty twenty one?
0: so full disclosure about a year a year or two back i just decided this is too much so i've taken a step back uh richard land has has Mm -hmm. really been the driving force over the past couple years but i will say you know when i was full-time into it you know maybe a half dozen emails a day something to that degree um but really what what got me what fueled my fire more than anything was tracking down old footage. And this is pre-WWE network. This is stuff that you'd never find on YouTube. It's finding the old footage from you know Crockett in 1984 that very few people had seen or certainly no one today really talks about and being able to add that stuff in great detail. Nice. I
2: was, I was, I was gonna ask you about the growth of the website because I remember, like I said, you were doing some stuff with WrestleView. And I remember you writing some articles on there. Were you doing kind of like this day in history and kind of tying that into the website, something along those lines? Had you had yes. you done much uh, writing in in the wrestling industry at all prior to launching the website?
4: Very little.
0: Um, I think in high school I had written for a wrestling site, and then WrestleView. Um, full disclosure, I was going to college at that point to be a journalist, which I am to, today. So yes, there is writing all along the way. Mm-hmm. But prior to launching the website, very little in the industry.
2: Okay. Were there any events at all, you know, as you started going through the years? And like you said, what happened before this? What happened before that? Were there any events that were kind of like, I don't know, unicorns for you where it was like very, very difficult to find out what happened, like that you were chasing down the results, anything that stands out where you just couldn't get an accurate story of of what happened at some live event?
0: Off of the top of my head, I can't think of scenarios like that. Mm -hmm. What I can think of are scenarios in which I find something and I I basically go, holy crap, how does not everyone know this? This is huge. (laughs) There's something something like Um, And, of course, I think everyone knows this at this point. Uh, But, you know, 15 years ago, I discovered that while he was NWA World Champion, Sting defended the title against a a guy that no one one really heard of after the fact, but a guy by by the name of Mean Mark. And then I I sit there and I go... Sting fought the Undertaker for the NWA World Title. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is the dream match that everyone's talking yeah. about now, but no one really knows that that is something that actually happened. And it headlined, I think Greensboro and, and another, but but it wasn't really supposed to happen. It was, I think, there was an injury, and and they just threw in uh, Mean Mark to to fill a spot. But that kind of stuff, mm. uh, you know, maybe someone knows shows and this, this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere gets something that means nothing at the time, but 15, 20, 30 years ago, everyone looks back and goes, that's a dream match that we didn't even know happened. That kind of stuff.
4: What's the most absurd bit of info that you've come across that like just made you chuckle? Um, I always love coming
0: across the shows where, you know, there's like a snowstorm. And so pretty much every scheduled match can't happen because half the half the guys are stuck at an airport on the other side of the country. And so the opening match with, you know, I'm just throwing out names here, but the opening match with the Brooklyn Brawler and whoever goes 30 minutes just because they're trying to kill time. <laughs> and then the main event, which was supposed to be, you know, let's say hypothetically Hulk Hogan and Earthquake, turns into some battle royal with just like the
4: 12 guys that they could find. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember because I did a, a series in covering 1990, speaking of Hogan Earthquake, recently, and I used your site a lot. I was just combing it for like, just give me some wacky stuff that happened during the dark matches or these house shows. And without a shadow of a doubt, the best thing I learned that happened in 1990 WWF, there was a random house show in Salt Lake City, Utah, Savage and the Warrior worked. And there was some local DJ who was doing the ring announcer. So they did the DQ finish where Warrior got DQ and they do the thing where, um, you know, the announcer's supposed to say, Savage wins, but he's not the champion. Well, this local DJ screwed up and said Savage was the new champion. And Warrior roughed him up and apparently gave him a clothesline and gave the guy a bloody lip. And I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Did he go into business for himself? Was that supposed to happen? I just love the fact that, like, yeah, the Warriors clotheslining random DJs and giving them bloody lips for screwing up the announcement. You know, if I'm Warrior in that spot, I might do the
0: same thing just to get my heat back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a oh.
4: countout. To my apologies. I, I, I had it open there. but yeah.
2: yeah, I remember finding out things through your site, like, you know, I hadn't, everyone knows this now, but you know, I didn't know Bret Hart had an Iron Man match with Ric Flair or Bret Hart had an Iron Man match with his brother Owen. That stuff just blew me away when I first oh, found out about
0: it. So, so, just to add to that, um, I made the site around the same time that I discovered fan cams. Uh, I was a big fan cam guy back in the day. And those two matches you, you just spoke of were absolutely among my earliest fan cams. And I just love tracking down fan cams that no one knew about adding them to the site. Uh, Cause you can't get more detailed than actually watching the show yourself.
4: In terms of verifying that it happened, everything that goes up there is something that you had to see with your own eyes. Oh no, 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 it can't be. It can't okay. Be. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, it would,
0: I mean, in the sense of results that I got from magazines, or you know, to that degree, yes, I did see that they had that thing. Uh, but I get you know contributions from everyone, and so they're telling me based off of their own recollections. Some of that's going to be wrong, uh, but I think in the grand scheme of things, that's how it's kind of like it, it's its own Wikipedia. Not everyone can make the edits. You know, you have to. I would think of myself as the editor in that in that instance. Um, but everyone can contribute. Nice.
4: They're all honest people in Salt Lake City. I know it. I believe it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I think too, just the, the travel schedules too, you know, you always hear the, the old time wrestlers talking about these insane travel schedules, um, that they had at the time. And when you go through, you know, the yearly pages on your site and you kind of follow the guys around, you literally as you scroll down the page and you see the, the way that they move town to town It's pretty insane. I mentioned, I looked, one of the the big unicorns for me was what was the card for this WWF show I went to as a very, very small child. Uh, I have no memory of it all. I just know I went to the show, but it was here in my hometown and it was in July of 86 and I found it on your site. And then I wonder, oh gee, what what was, what was before that? And I ended up finding out that the day before uh, there was a big WWF taping, all-star wrestling, um, up in Ontario. So these guys worked one day in Brantford, Ontario, a television taping. And the next day they were in Waterloo, Iowa. And I'm thinking, how did they possibly pull that off? Because the Waterloo, <laughs> Iowa airport is not big. How the heck in one day did these guys do a television taping in Ontario and get to Waterloo, Iowa? It just blows me away. Well, and there's okay. a lot of that.
4: I think it blew them away too. That's no how they pulled it off. <laughs>
2: But I ended up like I never would have went back and looked for this because I've always looked for like photos of the show that I was at as a kid and haven't ever found a single photo of the show. But I did find some of that television that was taped the day before up in in Ontario. So that was kind of cool to track that down and have that connection. But
0: yeah, especially that 85 to 90 stretch. Yeah, cocaine's a hell of a drug, it it got a lot of people through those years.
4: Doesn't matter what the time zone is.
2: (laughs) That's for sure. It's Pablo
4: Uh, Escobar time.
2: (laughs) Um, Graham, I mentioned too, you know, I was introduced to you here for the YouTube version so people can see that the poster collection behind you, that's just a fraction of what you have. Um, You've been a vendor at wrestling conventions over the years. Uh, you have an absolutely insane collection of vintage wrestling posters. Sometimes you posting them over on the Twitter feed at the history of WWE. Do you have a favorite in your collection? Do you have anything out there that you're looking for as far as vintage wrestling posters right now?
0: So if I look around the room and like you can see one wall, but obviously a room has four walls. So they're, <laughs> they're all on different walls. I love, I've got a WrestleMania five. Uh, Hogan Savage super colorful it mean, it's the one that looks like a painting and I've had that one signed by I'm gonna ballpark here maybe 15 20 people that work the show um, so really when I look around the room it's it's WWF 87 to 93 um, and then I've got over in, in another area I've got some WCW uh, early 90s stuff at this point the the things that i would be looking for might be honestly the things that we're going to talk about today um some of that crockett mid-80s crockett or some of those early wcw pay-per-views i don't know if you guys have ever seen them but maybe during those first couple years they're much more of a, a vertical so they're not more of a square they're you know like a Very narrow up top, long. Um, So there's like a Havoc 89 like that. There's a Bash 89 like that. Um, Trying to think from 90. But yeah, that kind of stuff. But honestly, at this point, I don't have the ball space. (laughs) So I need to take a step back.
4: (laughs) I see the Survivor Series 92 poster yeah. peeking out there in the corner Shaw that yeah. um, I don't know if you're aware of this, Graham. The Ultimate Warrior did not work that show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that edit has been taken care of. He didn't make it, but it, it's cool. Like, I was at that show, but it's just cool that oh, wow. um, you have the original um, poster out oh, yeah. yeah, with the warrior
0: in there. Yep, yep. And and that was, it's so cool that you were at that show. I know it's not regarded as, as an all-time classic or anything like that, but the year that you become a fan, you just remember everything in such detail. And that's that's absolutely one of those shows for me.
4: Not, not to make you turn your camera again, are Brett and Sean even on that poster? No. Okay, no. yeah, because that wasn't a featured match originally before they made it to No, and of
0: course, back then, those posters were put together so far in advance, yeah. you know, back in probably late September or so, and, and Brett really wasn't a featured guy.
2: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we talk about sometimes on the show is our wives and we're all married men on the show. And Justin has told this funny story in the past where when he and his wife started dating, he brought her in and he, he sat her down and he was like, Caitlin, I got something to tell you. (laughs) She's like, what is this going to be? And he's like, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. So (laughs) we all have stories like that. So Graham, like how does your wife put up with, with the collection? I mean, it's super cool. She has given you the wall space to have this wrestling room. Obviously, you can see in, in my house, I've got something similar, not nearly as cool as yours, but a, a little wall of, of wrestling memorabilia. And what, what How receptive has your wife been to uh, doing the website, the collecting, and all of that?
0: The She just kind of gives me my space, and I give her her space to do her things. Uh, but no, there's, there's no... This is not her thing.
2: <laughs> couldn't, couldn't make her a fan, huh?
0: We, she took me, uh, as we were dating, she took me to a house show in the Savannah area. And uh, she, I do remember us being in the crowd. And she looks around. She sees all the kids having fun. And, and this would have been 2016. And New Day was there. And they were huge. And she, I remember her turning to me and telling me, okay, I kind of get it now. I get, you know, the live experience where, you know, I get why these, I get the excitement. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you that. Um, But you can have your room away from everything else.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right, guys. So before we go any further, I do want to get the usual housekeeping items out of the way. Of course, if you are listening on any of the podcasting platforms, be it Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, we're available Everywhere podcasts are found, including Amazon. Now you can get us to play on your Alexa device at home. Uh, wherever you're listening, please hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review. It helps the show out so much. Mention we're streaming on YouTube. Uh, and so please subscribe to the channel. Leave a like on this video if you enjoy what we're doing. Every single show we put out, we are also putting out video versions now. It's youtube.com/slash top robe nation. And of course, if you want the best way to support the show, get bonus content each and every week. Check out the Patreon page. The link is in the podcast and video description here. We just dropped our monthly Top Rope Nation Classics show a couple of days ago. We looked back at ECW One Night Stand 2006, almost two hours, a real historical deep dive on that show. A lot of fun. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. All right, guys, let's go back in time. Let's talk about the Great American Bash. Uh, Graham, you're the historian here on the show. That's what you're known for. I'm going to throw it to you. What's the genesis for the Great American Bash back in the mid-80s?
0: It all surrounds Dusty Rhodes. So in, you know, whether it be late 84, early 85, Dusty becomes full-time booker at Jim Crocker Promotions. And he is competing now. With the WWF, who is building up to their first WrestleMania, and what he does essentially here. So they have Starcade. Starcade is a one-day event. It's Thanksgiving. Dusty is slowly not only bringing in talent and building talent to be his guys, his top heel, his top babyface, his top tag team, etc. He's also laying the framework what we see in 86 which is essentially a major event every quarter so what we have here is an outdoor festival type atmosphere almost a concert type atmosphere and a little historical context here this the first great American bash in Charlotte takes place one week before live aid which is when we think of big 80s concert experiences it's not just wrestling, and that's what we think of when we think of WrestleMania, especially the first WrestleMania. It's not just wrestling. There's a lot more to drive conversation in in the pop culture world. So Dusty doesn't necessarily do that. He's not bringing Liberace. He's not bringing Muhammad Ali. Those kind of names, but he is in in the heart of the of the Carolina territory. He is using a uh, minor league baseball stadium. He's bringing in a top country act. He is building toward a blow off for three major feuds in the territory. And if you look at the television from that time frame, you can see going back about three months, how they start laying the seeds for the great and bash being the blow off here. It is a fireworks show. It's a concert. It's wrestling. It's, you know, bring the kids, we'll have food. Like it's, it's, a, it's much more than just, you know, go to the the Greensboro Coliseum or the Shaw Coliseum and see Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes, blah, blah, blah. So it very much has that patriotic, family friendly, live event experience, marketing around it to make it more than just a wrestling show. Yeah.
2: July 6th, 85 it was the first event. Um, as Graham said, in Charlotte headlined by Tully Blanchard, uh, defending the TV title against dusty Rhodes in a steel cage match. Yeah. Entertainment. You get that one hour, David Allen co concert <laughs> <laughs> on the show.
4: I, I noticed you preface that with the word entertainment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. about Who your audience is. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, it, it yeah. makes sense for that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm sure they loved it.
2: Yeah. Um, now I have not seen the 85 version this, so this was on closed circuit wasn't it
0: that I'm not too sure about okay uh, but it was it was among those early 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 VHS tapes mm-hmm. that every
2: store had yeah so like 85 through 87 are not on the network um, but there were as you mentioned the VHS releases you have to track them down like the first the first war games match um from 87 I had to track that down online to watch it. I don't, it's been released on the WWE DVD set, but I don't have that one. And it's not on the network right now, or Peacock right now. I think it might've been on the previous version of the network as like a hidden gem, um, but I couldn't find it on Peacock now to rewatch it. So some of those, those early matches from the first three years of the event are kind of elusive for fans to see, at least right at this moment. Uh, and you also have the fact that 86 and 87 were full tours, right? You know, they had like an 86- uh, 13 shows around the country themed as the Great American Bash. But, you know, one of those shows comes out as uh, as the Great American Bash VHS tape. Now, was that a compilation or was it one of the, I'm not, I can't remember, or was it one? For, of those for shows?
0: Which year again? 86. 86 is a compilation. Okay. And that's what this is. Okay. So the major shows were uh, Greensboro. Um, Atlanta so basically all the big hot spots in the Crockett territory Uh, but just just to go back a moment they actually ran the tour starting in 86 but all the way up to 89 even had a tour Uh, 91 which we don't really think about in any favorable light but 91 was a tour Um, and even 92 had a tour where they would advertise a lot of local shows as being part of the great American match tour.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, did you guys, as you were making your list of the, of the best matches from the great American bash, did anyone have anything from 85 on your list? I did not. Cause I actually have not seen the 85 footage.
4: I did not. Okay.
2: For I did me, not, but 85 is hot. I mean, if you think about it of the time,
0: 85 is hot. They bring in the road warriors. They bring in Kamala. So it's, it's a pretty
4: loaded show. Yeah. 85 and 86 are definitely the best years of Jim Crockett mm-hmm. promotions for those who are looking to get into the product as a whole
2: yeah, 85 uh, on the card. I mentioned Dusty and Tully. Uh, the semi main is flair and Nikita Koloff, uh, Magnum TA and Kamala. Yeah. The road warriors taken on uh crusher, Khrushchev and Ivan Koloff, the Russian team. So there's big stars, especially from that era, the Minnesota wrecking crew taken on buzz Sawyer and Dick Slater. So yeah, a, a star-studded show, no doubt about it. But '86 was the first one where now Kyle, full disclosure, Kyle sent Justin and I a list of his top ten matches right off the bat. And then as I started kind of combing through the results and rewatching stuff, it largely lined up with what Kyle had sent me. I think I only added one match uh, to the list that he had sent. I'm a, bull- one, I'm a real bully. I'm a real bully and an authoritarian. <laughs> game. I just, I, I just <laughs> like, like to this say is here, what we're gonna do. It, here's what, what I like. It. God. Darn it, everyone agree
4: with me. You're gonna like it too. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: But usually uh, Kyle knows what he's talking about. I call him the wrestling rain man, Graham, on the show. He he is very he's got a great uh mind for the history of the business. And so when he said, watch this July fifth match from nineteen eighty six between Ricky Morton and Ric Flair cage match, I had to watch it, and my God, the heat in that match is unbelievable. Just a, a great match. Did you have that one on your list, Graham?
0: actually for sake of just grabbing a handful of matches i didn't consider the tours because they're basically running the same match i mean not the same match but you would see the same match on the tour you know a dozen times um so it all depends on you know whether you saw it from the home video or whether you saw it from whatever footage they showed on television at the time because that was a big deal they would take long segments from the bash tour matches and put it on worldwide or put it on the Saturday night show or, you know, so I'm going to be that guy. I picked from the pay-per-views. Okay. Primarily, primarily.
4: Did that match make the commercially released date? Does Flair Morton match? No, no. I don't think I saw that one until maybe one of the Flair DVDs. Yeah. Retirement. Yeah. Yes, I think it was the Ric Flair and Horseman DVD, Ryan. We talked Correct. about it. Okay. Yep.
2: That's how I watched it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah Flair comes I, in on the helicopter. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I, I had never seen it before that DVD either. They actually released, I believe, this full show on the network as one of the hidden gems. It's no longer there. Yeah. Um, the reason I wanted to highlight this match specifically, I think when you talk about Ric Flair as a heel. There's just a lot of images that conjure up, like, like begging off, you know, dirtiest player in the game type stuff. But what I love about him working with Morton is we get to see Ric Flair as a bully, which you do not see him working as very often. Like he's on offense, he's the aggressor. They had run obviously the big angle, um, you know, with Morton, uh, you know, rubbing his nose on the ground, which is just tremendous leading up to this. But Flair is a bully heel. Normally it's like, you know, Him chop and Luger, him chop and beg it off. No, no, no. And he has to cheat to get the advantage. This was a totally different style of work than you usually got uh, from Ric Flair. And I think that made it novel and certainly worth the watch for anyone who's never seen it. Yeah.
0: Very good point. Very good point. And, And Flair is not thought of as the biggest guy in the world. But in this case, you're right. He's working
4: against a guy who's smaller than him. Yeah, and that's what makes it work. You're right. Yeah. It's because yeah. the size difference. Morton's a little guy. And I mean, nobody plays the baby face in peril quite like Rick. Uh, but
0: one of the One of the best selling points about that 86 tour is the fact that they, and this is how they marketed it. Ric Flair is going to have 12, 13 different opponents during this tour. Road Warrior Hawk, Road Warrior Animal, Ricky Morton, Dusty Rose, Ron Garvin. Is he going to survive?
4: That's right. He's yeah. going come out of this as the champion. Spoiler, he does not. No, and, and that was also that complete show where he loses the title to Dusty in the cage. That was the other hidden gem that they added on the network. Again, mm-hmm. not up yet, but we have been promised everything since some, uh, by SummerSlam. So.
0: I, I loved one of those hidden gem uh, Bash 86 tours because you can see Dustin Rhodes driving the guys out to the ring on the golf cart.
2: Oh, wow.
4: Oh, my goodness. I didn't notice yeah, that. He,
0: Specifically, he's driving uh, Ron Garvin and Wahoo McDaniel. And he's got to be 18. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah, worth watching for sure. But yeah, it was on Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, that DVD set that came out. Now, fast forward to 87. uh, The first War Games match takes place in Atlanta. I watched this one. I've seen it before, but not in quite some time. I rewatched it last night. I had to watch it off of Daily Motion. Come on, Peacock. First (laughs) War Games match. I'm watching on Daily Motion and I'm like screencasting it to my Roku and it's so pixelated. But man, what an awesome match. (laughs) It is an awesome match. I need the better quality on Peacock so I can watch it as it is meant to be seen again. Uh, But you know, you got five on five. You've got JJ Dillon in there factoring into the finish and JJ Dillon bleeding as well. I. First war games match, guys. Talk about it. What do you like about it? Uh Graham, start with you.
0: Well, you really don't need anything other than a good working VCR to watch that match in full.
2: There you go. You got the tape. I yep, love it. Yeah, I do.
0: So I know I, I think I think there's a, a large percentage of the fan base that just loves war games. They love the concept. Think about all, all the great matches over the years. But if you think back to 1987 it's really convoluted right it's really you need a stopwatch to keep up with okay so you can go in in one minute and you have to wait for three minutes and you have the your team has it's very convoluted um i think the 80s and i i love if you've seen the some of the 87 ads the commercials that are that are trying to sell this concept and it shows all these people work, all these like mechanics or you know whatever they are trying to build this massive cage. It's really very Mad Max ish. Um, Eighty seven is really cool for that concept. I think there were certainly better, uh, bash, uh, better war games matches over the years, uh, but it's hard to beat the first one in mm-hmm. terms of impact.
2: The VHS you held up too um, that artwork on the cover i think isn't that the one that aew imitated when they did the uh, the blood and guts they kind of tried to recreate that that's that's a pretty iconic poster i love Mm -hmm. that so yeah it was july 4th of 87 in atlanta they did the second one in miami just a few weeks later almost the same lineup the difference was in the first one you had uh jj of course teaming with the rest of the horsemen it's flair arn lex and tully Uh, and they were taking on the road warriors Kita Koloff, Dusty Rhodes, and Paul Ellering. When they run it back on July 31st in Miami, uh, the difference is instead of J.J. Dillon, you have the war machine, better known as the big boss man.
0: And you knew that why that is, right? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. because
4: J.J. got all sorts of effed up and the finish of the first one.
2: Yeah. He did, yes. He pretty did. brutal. Because
4: they had to modify the Doomsday device yeah. because of the uh, low ceiling, and they... Modified it by just killing JJ's poor shoulder. <laughs> that poor guy, man, it, it just looks rough. You know, I I am so jealous of Graham because he's actually got the you know the master copy of the H. I just have a dubbed version of it way back when. And I remember watching the first war games for the first time and thinking something was wrong with my TV because the crowd is so loud yeah. compared to the announcing. Like I don't know if it was mixed that way or if the crowd was just that freaking insane of the Omni that night. I mean, these people were frothing at the mouth. You talk about the history of war games and we're obviously all used to the heels getting the advantage, right? It's just like old hat, the heels, because it makes sense from a psychology perspective. You don't, you know, it'd be weird if the baby faces had the man advantage. But in this first instance, that Omnicron was living and dying with every entry. Like they were freaking out when the baby face would be down two one or three, two, and then just, it would be this massive, like, relief for explosion when the baby face would even the odds up. Um, I just think, in terms of the psychology of the war games working, this you know, I don't know if it can be beat by any other, maybe 92. Um, it, 92 is a better overall match, um, than this one, but in terms of just the crowd heating them, living and dying with it, every entry, um, whoo man, imagine being in that crowd that night, yeah. I'd, Imagine being sitting next to that guy, that real big, I mean, you're not supposed to say this anymore as big, that big, that large man with the Larry Bird jersey on. Woo! That would have been the scene. If anyone sees it, they show them. they stop on If Everyone wants to watch it, man. That, that's a wrestling fan right there. Well, also
0: a little context here. Uh, in the mid-80s, Atlanta had nothing to cheer for, right?
4: The Braves weren't <laughs> winning any games. But Dusty Rhodes was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, you know, the Hawks, you know, they would only make it so far. And the Falcons stunk.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And I think they had three hockey teams leave.
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, yeah, this This makes, I guess, wrestling crowds aren't exactly like this anymore. But it definitely gets you excited to, to have wrestling crowds back here soon. Uh, we, we just raved about the ECW One Night stand, stand crowd in 06 and 05 and how hot they were. I mean, you're getting crowds like that. It seems like almost every night out in that era back then. Absolutely. Yep, you're right. You're right. Definitely stands out um, and stands the test of time. So 88, 88, I should have mentioned too, that they're giving these events uh, taglines. Like 88, they dub it the price for freedom. 89, we're going to get to, they call it glory days. Um, Now 88, I I noted in my research that there's there's a really good tag team match from that year uh the midnight express defeating the fantastic that one got four stars in the observer i didn't have time to go back and and re-watch that but i added it to my list to watch at some point over the weekend i don't know if you guys have thoughts on that match just
1: go ahead ahead. i was
2: gonna say the match is really good because it's one the match is really good but it gets
0: talked about a lot because it does have that pay-per-view platform Mm -hmm. if i can make another recommendation they had a match about six weeks, two months earlier on television that went, I don't know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes, something like that. If you can track that one down, I think you would absolutely, I think you would
4: prefer the earlier one. Okay, that, that, That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally yeah, going to talk uh, about that, that match. That. that match is incredible. I mean, that might be the 1988 U.S. match of the year, the match you're talking about. God bless it. Why can I not think of what? It's in Chattanooga. Yep, and, okay. and uh, it's uh, I think in multiple parts on YouTube, you, so it can be found. And it also the reason that I omitted it from the list. I said, Ryan, is not only is that match, but I like the clash match better too than mm-hmm. this one, which is just a wild, out of control brawl uh, on that show." But these two always had good matches. I mean, even back when it was Dennis instead of Stan, and they were working in the various territories. I mean, the rock and rolls. Were the Midnight's most famous opponents, obviously, and for good reason. The Fantastics might have been their best opponents, though, ever through the years. I mean, they never had a bad match.
0: So it looks like that aired. You're right. It was Chattanooga. It aired on worldwide on May 14th. So about, yeah, about six weeks before the pay per view.
2: Hmm. I know that Clash match we talked about on our Clash of Champions mm-hmm. retro show. I remember rewatching that one. That's, yeah, it's a phenomenal one, too. But I don't know if I've seen, unless you've sent that to us in the past over the years, Kyle, I don't know if I've ever seen that TV match. So I have to add that to my list for sure. But that, I mean, that's all I had down on the list to maybe talk about from 88. Did <laughs> any of you have anything else from that year?
4: The Maryland State Athletic Commission
2: is a bunch of assholes.
4: <laughs> what kind of hideous finish was that?
2: <laughs> Explain for the listeners
4: so the, yeah. Luger they did a great for and we'll talk more about Luger the next year they did a great job building him up as the top babyface in the early part of 88 but we know the story with Rick Rick didn't want to put over Lex and Lex got screwed because Rick had the match with Sting at the first clash and everyone decided okay Sting's not ready yet but at some point we're going to have Rick put over Sting and the sun will shine forever the sky will always be blue so we're just going to play everyone else kind of has to take a back seat to that so we've got to kind of come up with a screwy finish for Rick and Lex. And Lex does a weak blade job. And they use this lame rule from the state athletic commission that says there can't be blood. So the ref stops the match. Mm-hmm. And, it, and Lex, <laughs> Lex needed a blade more if they were going to do that finish. Cause it looks like a shaving cut. That's <laughs> that's
0: really, I think that's why it gets criticized so much because there is only a little bit of blood. It keeps Lex strong because the match ends as he's got flair in the torture rack so the place explodes and if you watch the video the place does explode um and it kept the feud strong because they actually did good business into the fall with the rematches so everything worked except the blood <laughs> needed a lot more blood plus this is 80s crockett we're used to a lot more blood
2: I'm pretty sure we've talked about that on the show. Did that come up during our Flair draft? I don't know. I I feel like we have talked about this match before in uh, that we, issue.
4: We talked about the Wrestle War Flair-Luger match, because yeah. they did a screwy fat in finishing that, too. Where Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, the horseman attacks Sting outside the ring. Poor Lex. <laughs> it's Great
0: okay. I hear, I hear they're finally going to put the belt on him and, and on the 91 bash. Yeah,
4: yeah. It's just, <laughs> this is finally the time, yes.
2: Uh all right, well, let's go to 89, because 89 is one of the great pay-per-views of the era, and we've been talking about this in our group text, and this is where I'm going to really bring in Justin Joint to the conversation, because I know that this is his kind of match. Talk to us about this Ric Flair-Terry Funk match from Great American Bash 89, Justin.
3: Plain and simple, it's a fight. Yes. I mean, all these, in the majority of the matches, them just slapping each other's chests, and it freaking works. It totally works, and... Not only is the match really good, but you have an all-timer uh, brawl at the end where, you know, the high points are the the crowd just anticipating Sting coming out and then him finally rushing the ring, uh, him trying to fight off both uh, Muda and Funk. And then you have Flair just like all of a sudden appearing in the camera going after him. Uh, and then my favorite part is you think it's over, Sting and Flair in the ring, Flair bloody, uh, green mist all over him. <laughs> uh, and then, I don't know which one, but either Funk or Muda threw a chair at him. And it looks legit like Flair just lost his temper at that point. And he goes, you know, hurtling out of the ring to go after him. And they just keep fighting. And yeah, all I can say, it's a physical uh, fight of a wrestling match.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Graham, your thoughts oh, on this did. one?
0: And That match did make my list. Um, I think a lot of folks, myself included, love everything top to bottom with Bash 89. Uh, but Flair Funk is such a contrast from Flair Steamboat, which is what we had for six months prior. Uh, this is just Flair, you know, is he going to retire? Funk pile drives him on the table. We don't know if Flair's in, and he, if, if he's going to stay in the business, if he's going to keep the title. He, It's a fight. It's a fight. And also the surprise of Gary Hart as Terry Funk's uh, new manager, Gary Hart, who's also managing Muda. So there's, they, they do a phenomenal job of not only giving us payoff in the main event, but also getting us to Halloween Havoc.
2: Yeah,
4: I was going to put the website over grabbing this kid. This is like the kind of stuff that people want to see. It you know you can see after the match, Gary Hart's first time, time managing Terry Funk in parentheses right afterwards. So you get that good frame of reference. I think uh, actually, first of all, let me say this: I love a match coming off just a hot angle. Right. Like, I mean, the it's an all time angle that they do at WrestleWar 89 with Funk Pop. In Afterbirth, Cult of Cornette people, by the way, l- would love to hear your take on that, the, the dreaded Afterbirth work. But um, I just, you know, there's just no angle like that that just makes you anticipate a match, I feel, today. Right. Mm-hmm. That just come up like, I mean, you're just, it's freaking go time. You're kind of like rocking back and forth in your seat, waiting for this to start. Flair comes out with the ladies, rushes the ring, and it's on. I think that maybe other than the Vader match at Starcade, this is peak babyface Ric Flair. We talked about him as a bully heel earlier. But, you know, there's a little sympathy, which you don't associate with Ric Flair often, right? Um, And, you know, with the points Graham made about, is he going to be able to retire? Um, The pre-match interview, all that stuff was cut on the Turner Home Entertainment version, I think. I don't remember seeing a lot of these interviews when I went back and watched this on the uh, network but that interview with Gordon was great beforehand. When Gordon's like, "Rick, you haven't have even had a warm up match. Do you think you're gonna be okay?" Mm-hmm. Like, it is just really, really good stuff. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, I don't know if Rick has ever been in better as a baby face than he was in this match. Um, and the crazy thing is, we all know Ric Flair's 1989. Uh, he had a better match with Terry Funk than this, believe it or not. Later, in the year. that's what's insane.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead,
3: Justin. Well, I was. My one little criticism of the match, and I and I loved it, but rewatching it back, it kind of took me back. Is it uh, does it seem like they they brought out the uh, pile driver kind of in the middle of the match, and it didn't really play into it all that much, considering the hype of it?
4: Oh, I honestly don't even remember. You, you mean when Rick did it, or when Funk was going? When for when it? Funk
3: got the pile driver on Rick.
4: I don't know. I think it was far enough along because right they flair puts his leg on the rope afterwards right that's how they get yeah. out of the spot because yeah because yeah, you're right they, they sell it a little bit and it's like uh-oh i think rick's gonna lose and it's and yeah i think he gets his foot on the rope to get out of it but they go home not long after i think
0: yeah. and it's it's not an altogether decisive victory either like he doesn't beat funk yeah he beats one two three but he doesn't
4: overpower him dominantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, Because of
2: cradle fans, right? Yeah. The the, the feud had to
4: continue, obviously. They went to Halloween Havoc and beyond. So, yeah. But, you know, that post-match brawl, my God, it makes you want to see the tag match. What Justin brings up, the crowd wanting to see Sting out there to make the save. I love that and miss that. You know, I know I say this I miss this in today's wrestling. The crowd wanting a specific person to come out and help and then
2: getting rewarded.
4: That's just so awesome.
2: Yeah. You watch the, you watch this match on Peacock and then it's over and you see that there's you know, around 15 minutes left running time. You're like, what's going to happen? And then you stay in and you get that massive brawl, the great promo. It's good, good stuff. Ric Flair's 1989 stands apart, I think, from any other performer in the history of wrestling. I don't think that... We were talking about this yesterday. I don't think any wrestler has ever had an 89-like year uh, that compares to Ric Flair from that year because you have him doing... You know, early in the year with Steamboat, he's a heel. He pivots. He becomes a babyface. He works, you know, the brawling style with Terry Funk, and he had the the more technical matches with with Ricky Steamboat. I put this out on Twitter yesterday, and I, I had one person say, "Yeah, I kind of agree," but what about Okada in 2016? And my response was, "I love Okada. I love those matches he had 2016," but. I don't really feel like people are going to be waxing poetic about those matches in the same way in 30 years, because, you know, to Kyle's point, how badly you wanted to see these matches and the, and the way that they built them up with that awesome angle, with the pile driver and the table with Terry Funk that I just, I don't know what you think about that, Graham, but I don't see any wrestler in the history of the business that's ever had a year that compares to Ric Flair's 1989. It's just unbelievable.
0: Well, they're both all-time classic feuds. Yeah. And when when I say feud, I don't just mean matches. I mean the storytelling between the matches. I mean the promos Mm -hmm. between the matches. Uh, To have something that you could do on television every single week, maybe it's only a one-minute promo, but do something on television every single week to build up to a blow off in you know a month's time, two months time, whatever. And that's I love 89 in, in WCW because of all the fresh talents that's coming in, but also these headlining matches and these headlining feuds.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Certainly the storytelling sets it apart. I think from yeah okada had tons of really good five-star matches in in 2016 great ring work but i just think from the the total picture to seeing two sides of the Ric flair character to that ongoing storytelling week after week that it's just it stands apart and it stands the test of time really you watch a match like this and it makes you want to relive everything in between until you get to the havoc match too
3: can i can i point out one more thing about this card yeah i'm just you know this is for Kyle's heart when it comes to kind of uh, bashing the current product. You look at the, the mid card uh, of this match and you have a, and part of this is looking at Dave Melcher's star ratings, which is not the be all end all of if a wrestling match is good, but you have the Steiners versus Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotundo, three stars followed by sting versus great Muta uh, three and three quarters, I believe. And then following that, Luger, Steamboat, four and a quarter. Now, what I want to point out is the first match I noted, four minutes, 22 seconds. The next one, eight minutes, 40 seconds. And finally, 10 minutes and 26 seconds.
4: Stuff didn't overstay its welcome back then. I mean, <laughs> because people paid to see the main event back then. It wasn't like, I am paying for three and a half hours of that unique brand of entertainment that only the world wrestling federation can supply. It's, you know, that <laughs> they wanted to get to the main event. And so that's why ma- undercard matches never overstayed their welcome. It was very rare that anything on an undercard back then would go more than 15 minutes. But also
0: it speaks to the time like today we
4: expect
0: undercard matches to go, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, but you don't need that to have a memorable match. You know, you being you holding a headlock for five minutes, or you know, doing something just to stretch out the the time of the match, doesn't make it more memorable. It just makes mm-hmm. it longer. And these these shorter matches, these are the ones that we're talking about thirty years later.
2: Yeah, I mean, to that point, I brought this up on the show before when people talk about the Okada Omega series. I've always said my favorite match of that series is the G one match they had, which is way way shorter, you know, than the Wrestle Kingdom matches, for example. But it's a sprint. And I like that. I like the shorter matches. War Games. You just talked about the first War Games. You guys brought up the 92 uh, War Games match. Those matches are all about 25 minutes, uh, a little bit less. And when they do War Games in NXT, they're 45 minutes long. You you don't have to have a 45-minute long War Games match for it to be a great match. None of of the all-time classic ones were that long.
0: And they're spectacles too, right? Because at the end of the match, everyone has to be basically dead
2: yeah (laughs) well that's the other thing too that um not to go back a little bit but with that 87 war games match is there's so much happening in the ring all at the same time versus the way wwe lays out matches when they're multi-person matches like this is it like two guys are doing something and everyone else is just like laying there watching them and then two other guys get up and they do something and everyone else watches them sometimes there's a few things going on but not like what you see in 87 (laughs) It's, it's a whole different product
0: it, it's like uh real life chaos, whereas today there's a lot of people playing dead.
2: Yeah, like that's not how people really fight. Yeah. <laughs> you watch yeah. the matches today. Imagine when you watch 87, like it seems like a real fight.
4: Yeah. Imagine just laying around in a war games. Well <laughs> why would you do something like that? Um, <laughs> because just, it's not time for my spot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, in the interest of time, um, I don't know how much everyone else. Justin referenced it. I'll just throw there's one other match from this show that made my listen certainly bash 89 I think is deserving of multiple matches on a list like this because I mean it's a you know a god tier pay-per-view in my opinion the Luger steamboat match um is so awesome and we've talked about it before I believe when we went did this for Halloween Havoc guys 1989 Lex Luger if you have like a concept of Lex Luger, you need to put it to the side and watch 1989 Lex, because this man was the god of the Smart Mark community. Jim Ross acknowledges it on commentary. He's like, some people actually still cheer this guy, and I don't understand why. But yeah, I mean, the Smart Mark crowd loved 89 Lex. I love 89 Lex. I love this match. I see Graham shaking his head, and that makes me feel very good. Well, I've, had
0: a, <laughs> I've had a long-standing theory when it comes to Lex, and I'm right there with you. I love Lex in 89 the longer his hair is <laughs> the better he the better he does whatever he, he, it is that he needs to do that sounds like something I love Justin that would theory say, yeah I love yeah. that theory <laughs> short, don't, hair don't... Legs. short hair legs especially like 93 legs like uh, Lex express legs no <laughs> no because all the power comes from the hair
3: he, and he just he didn't sweat like he did back in those days <laughs> yeah the longer his career got <laughs>
4: You know what was fascinating about I had never thought of that, but you're now I'm not gonna be able to unsee it now. I just I'm like I'm like I've got the match in my head, and I'm just like it's Luger's hair, is like the only thing I'm seeing. But what's fascinating about this match with Steamboat in particular is Lex is like feeding Steamboat. Like you don't like it, it seems so odd. Like you don't see Luger do that because he worked a lot as a babyface, but you know, he takes the chop, gets right back up, takes the chop, gets, you know. He's back down. You didn't see Lex could move, man, in '89. And I've, I'll i say it again. I think he should have got the title uh, as a heel at the end of the year. Right. I, I think the, instead of rush the sting thing or just be hard headed about it, I, I really do. And I think then you would have had two baby faces opposing him, Flair and Sting. 1990 would have been a lot better. Yeah. No
0: argument. Yeah. No
4: argument. The
0: the more I watched stuff of that era, I, I fully believe, you know, that Russell War ninety where they had they had to turn him babyface because of Sting being out. Oh man, he was white hot as a heel, you know, destroying Sting, destroying Flair. You know, I'm the guy, I'm the US champion, I'm the number one contender. Nobody can take this from me, and now I'm gonna take the world title too. And no one could stop him until he turned babyface,
4: and then everyone could stop him. Yeah, I, and the, that really sucked because the Sting knee injury obviously affected him. I mean, he goes – because I believe the plan was Sting wins it at WrestleWar, and L- him and Luger were going to then work on top the rest mm-hmm. of the year because Luger had pinned him in that goofy gauntlet thing they did at Starcade. That makes sense. Yeah, and, and that would have been great. I mean, God, that Sting knee injury. I, has there ever been a more catastrophic injury to a promotion than that?
0: But, but the blow off, I know we're here talking about the yeah. bash. The blow mm-hmm. off at the bash with him coming back and win, win the world title. That's, that's like what we remember of 1990 WCW, mm-hmm. like for whatever it was intended to be, mm-hmm. that pinnacle moment in Baltimore is such a big moment. It's such a big deal. It's such a, you know, a, what the rest of the year surrounds. Mm-hmm.
4: I guess I just framed it like that because, you know, I joked earlier when Sting becomes world champion, the sun would shine forever and the sky would always be blue in their minds. And that didn't happen. <laughs> like business didn't go up at all when it, ha- and it just, it feels like had Sting won the title as planned may in the early part of the year, they would have been able to keep Luger heel and things would have been more logical. And I think maybe better.
2: Let's move ahead to 1990. because yeah. I think there there's a go. tag team match that, yes. uh, is going to be mentioned uh, 1990 dubbed the new revolution and uh, certainly not new because you've got the Southern boys here with the Confederate flags taken on the midnight express. Kyle, you're a huge fan of this match. Yeah.
4: Midnights are my favorite team ever. Yeah. This is my favorite match of theirs. And I'll say it's either this or steamboat and Dustin versus the enforcers at clash 17. That's my favorite WCW tag of the decade. Those are
2: high words of praise from Kyle Ross.
0: So, full disclosure, this match also made my list, uh, and the the clash match. I, I should let y'all know, I'm a half an hour from Savannah, so I pass the Savannah Civic Center on a on a regular basis, and I always think that's where sting pulled in in the ambulance (laughs) and he went
4: to the wrong door
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh man i love that that's similar to um we're an hour north of cedar rapids where they had the clash of champions where hogan got attacked and they took him to the hospital and whenever i go by that hospital on the interstate i always think of that 94 clash with hogan going to the hospital saint luke's i think it is or it was Uh, at the time
4: now, do you always refer to it as a local medical facility or do you actually call it a hospital? <laughs> oh, I always say there's
2: that local medical facility yeah. again to my wife. Yeah. Hogan once resided there for a little while. <laughs> no, but no. Yeah, this is a it's an awesome match for sure. 1990, I, I went back and watched this, you know, again, like the Midnight Express is not a tag team I was very familiar with growing up. And a lot of what I've watched at the Midnight Express has been Kyle's recommendations and uh, this was one that he was speaking glowingly about. And it definitely, definitely lived up to the hype. Here. You know, people should listen to Cornette's review of this match. You know, I
4: know Jim Cornette's very divisive. I certainly wildly disagree with him sometimes. Other times I completely am on board. But he is in his elements uh, on his podcast reviewing this match. Like, it's a really good 45-minute listen. Especially if you know the match well. You don't have to watch along with them him just breaking down every spot, why it worked, why maybe it could have gone better. It's tremendous, tremendous stuff. Yeah.
0: And, and uh, also something to consider, the Southern boys were not established. Yes. The Midnight Express were the U.S. tag team champions. So like they're the, the old hat. And this is not supposed to be that competitive of a match, but it ends up being a star making match
4: it's funny you bring that up because Cornette spends the first part of the podcast talking about what you're saying. Uh, No one really knew the Southern boys or the crowd is the crowd even gonna be behind them. And he's like, I don't really care what the office says. We're going to spend the first five minutes, getting these guys over and the crowd into it. And it's like that, like it's just really good to listen to like how he, his thought process on it.
2: Yeah. Nice. I'm I, yeah, you sent that to us. I am going to check that out for sure. Um, 91. We can skip. Kyle, you mentioned to us the other day that, Uh, You might mention this off air that you went back and you had never seen 91 and uh, you put it on and it is just as bad as the reputation (laughs) preceded it.
4: Yeah. So I had never watched it before because of the reputation. I was like, well, why would I, you know, in the tape trading days, I'm like, why would I pay money for something that's regarded as so hideous? I'm not going to watch that. And then the network came out and I never thought to put it on. And, you know, I'm doing, we're 91 now me and Liam reviewing that. And we're talking about flair jumping ship from WCWWF. And I'm a lot of great American Bash. I'm like, I've never watched a show. I'm going to put it on. And good Lord, it might actually be worse than people say. I've just (laughs) never seen a more depressing show. Like maybe I'm looking for it, but every performer that comes out just has this look on their face. Like this show sucks. Don't want to be here. And as Graham, uh, you know, joked earlier, Nope. Lex Luger does not win the title from Ric Flair at the show because Ric Flair doesn't bother to show up.
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I, I certainly didn't have anything from 91 on my list. I don't know if Graham, if you had anything else from 90 on your list, I, I should have given you that opportunity or if by you know, any chance you have something from 91.
0: Nothing, nothing else from 90. Um, I'm sure you guys know, but I did a book on the Baltimore Arena several years ago. And and all these major shows are just, you know, this this is the home of the Great American Bash for so many years. But 91, it is rough. But if you look at 91 uh, from beginning to end, the whole year is bad. Like, the only thing that makes the Bash stand out so much is the absence of Ric Flair. And there's not a a main event to save it, save the show. So, uh, wrestle war 91 war games. I'll give you that, uh, super brawl one, you know, the most memorable thing, Steiners against sting and Luger. I'll give you that. That's like a match of the year kind of match. And then you get here and the one guy who typically saves the pay-per-view got fired. (laughs) And now you've got, you've got all these like new characters, like Johnny B bad, You've got Oz. You've got all these guys. No one is over. And then the guys who are established, you've got the Rock and Roll Express against each other. So you took the hottest tag team and you split them up. So you killed your hottest tag team. But then the other guys like Barry Windham, who is a heel. Lex Luger, who is a baby face. And then you switch them after the match. So now who's your, who's your top baby face? because your top baby face is now your world champion heel. So there's really nothing, nothing at all. And and in interviewing for the book and interviewing so many fans who were there that that night, some of them walked in the building that night, not knowing Flair had been fired because it happened. So, I mean, it was like a week, 10 days, whatever. So if you missed one weekend of television and you walk in having tickets for the show and you sit down and there's a piece of paper there saying that Ric Flair will not appear, blah, blah, blah.
4: And, like, what, what what's the main event? Hmm. Yeah, because I think it was just with one week. They ran a crawler on the final week of television or something. It would, I mean, yeah, it was a different time. You didn't have the internet to just push the scoops out uh, back in 91. You know, what folly on that show. It's not just Flair leaving. They have the scaffold match, which is so dangerous. <laughs> like, the scaffold is so thin, and the four guys beforehand – we're like, I don't feel comfortable doing this, and I'm not taking a bump. So they changed the rules the day of to capture the flag, like it's gym class. <laughs> no one does anything. It's just four guys holding on for dear life, hoping not to fall off this thing. And freaking PN News grabs a flag to win. Uh, that's fun.
0: The most memorable thing about that match is it's Stone Cold Steve Austin's pay-per-view debut.
4: Yes, and he and he's the first guy who has that boo-boo face on when I saw him, when he's like, I, I wish I would be anywhere buddy. I, I wish I would make my pay-per-view debut at a different time. And then the main event is not Luger Wyndham, it's this mixed tag. It was Rick Steiner and Missy You guys are gonna love this, Ryan and Justin. if you don't know It's Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt against Arn Anderson and Paul Lee. They've been hyping it for a while. Well, the Maryland State Athletic Commission rears its head again, <laughs> and you can't have a match with a woman and a man. So they take Missy Hyatt out before the match. I think the hard line, yes, it is the hard liners, capture her. They and Dick Slater and Dick Murdoch. A fan tries saving Missy from their clutches. And do you remember this, Graham? Not no, mis- because okay. the whole the whole scenario is
0: is just ridiculous and it's getting more ridiculous. Yeah.
4: I can't remember if it's Murdoch or Slater. One of them just takes a wild swing at the fam and drops <laughs> Missy
2: while oh. doing
4: it. So they have to so they've been hyping this. It turns into a handicap match, Rick Steiner versus Aaron Anderson and Paul Lee in a steel cage, and Rick Steiner pins Paulie. And it's very, very bad.
0: So I'm trying to remember what the original match was because obviously Scott is out hurt. Yes. And I think, oh, Barry, Arn and Barry
4: against the Steiners.
0: And maybe, maybe Missy and but, Paul, but, Lee but. Paul Lee and
4: Missy were definitely supposed to be. I mean, because they had been building that on TV for right. a long time. But yeah, apparently they just never conferred with the State Athletic Commission. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a woman wrestle ma- man. And well, yeah, like day of, they're like, no, you're not.
0: So, so if, if we got the show as it was intended, we get, we get Luger and Flair in a cage, but we also get the Steiners against Arnie Anderson and Barry Windham with Paulie and Missy also involved. Does that save... How much does that save the show? Because obviously it saves the show a little
4: bit. Well, yeah, because I, mean, I think the whole reason this show is terrible is just because, you know, it, it was unprecedented losing a main event like that and having these match changes. You're right. I mean, that's what it is. I, I mean... The match quality is not good, top to bottom. But yeah, it would be much better. It'd be, I mean, ninety-one WCW was kind of running on fumes, like you'd mentioned earlier, until they went to the Dangerous Alliance at the end. But yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be what it's known as now. I think it's just the the behind the scenes folly that gives that show its much deserved reputation.
2: Yeah, Justin couldn't handle any more talk about <laughs> ninety-one Great American Bash. He just got up out of his chair and left. He's gone. <laughs> not the <preferred. laughs> first. Yeah, I think he had to put his kid down for his nap. But uh, let's let's move ahead to 92. Now, this one, we talked, I believe we talked about the match that I think is going to come up about three years ago because we did a show looking back at the career of Vader uh, when he passed. I think it was in June of 2018. And that check our archives if you didn't hear it. That one turned out really good. I like that pod a lot. Um, so I'm guessing Sting and Vader is probably on everyone's list.
0: Yes, it is. It is, And I know we've been talking about these all all day. Uh, I have that poster, Bash 92 poster, signed by, you know, as many guys, haven't met Liger yet, but as many guys who are still living as, as possible sign signed that one. That is a favorite of mine. It's such a strange show for the time period, uh, but it's absolutely one of my nostalgic favorites.
4: Yeah, this was an easy pick. I mean, this would be in the tippy top among all the matches we're going to talk about today. Such a great rivalry that mm-hmm. these two had um, that spanned multiple years. It's hard to pick a favorite pay per view match of theirs between this, Starcade, and then Super Brawl the next year. Um, a heel being put over this strong was very rare in this era. Now we see it all the time, right? Like, I mean, every WWE show, my God, the heel just decimates the baby face. But a heel winning the title cl- relatively clean. I mean, it was pretty. I mean, Sting like knocks himself out when he misses the Stinger Splash on the post, but I mean, that was pretty clean. Yeah. Uh, He'll win back for 1992. So that was a big deal. Um, it's funny when Grand this being an odd show, man, did like Watts just kill the energy of this promotion when he took over? It just, it was so dim. And then they do that silly tag tournament on it Mm -hmm. um
2: yeah this is the semi-main
4: yeah i mean just watch this match i wouldn't watch um the rest of that show to be honest with you it's just so dark
2: yeah i just i did i did see in some of the reviews of this match people were like oh it kind of deflates the crowd because the heel went over and everything but i mean that doesn't bother me watching right now you don't
0: like heels going over just go home
2: right now (laughs) yeah no kidding yeah watch the world wrestling federation today no i i love that uh I picked this up at the store. I was wondering what you're day. doing. The vintage Vader figure with oh. the with the helmet, you know, yeah. with the steam and everything. Gotta love that era. Vader, just good, good stuff. But yeah, this is this is a great one. This was when I started making my list, or if, if I was going to make a list from scratch that didn't include Kyle's recommendations, this would have been right up there. One of the first ones I thought of. This and and Funk and Flyer, it's it's a good one. So yeah, Sting and uh, Sting and Vader is one of the great feuds from that era. For sure, um, now they didn't have a great American bash in '93 or '94. Is there any background behind why they dropped it? Does anybody know?
0: I think it's basically Eric Bischoff taking over and just clean slate, you know. That's that's the dusty era. That's you know, obviously, last year it was Bill Watts. Uh, we're gonna do our own thing, and one thing he was big on is cost cutting,
1: hmm. so
0: no more tours, obviously. Or no, you know, no more big promoted tours, uh, a lot more television, and a lot fewer house shows.
4: Yeah, I, w- I was thinking the same. That you know, it, it kind of coincides with Bischoff's rise to power. Also, Ryan, if you remember, we just did that Wrestle War '92 mm-hmm. uh, pod, and remember we were talking about how many shows they had lined up in such a short span. They had Wrestle War. They did the Bash obviously that year. They had a Clash, and then they did beach blast the first and it was like so tight i think it was a case where it's like well we've got to get rid of something and you know under eric um beach blast slash you know bash the beach became a bigger deal than the Mm -hmm. great american bash that was kind of his baby and Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's why they cut it and then they they bring it back when they you know were kind of doing pay-per-views every month because that was a pretty logical thing to do
2: they had like a campus showdown pay-per-view or something that they were planning, I think, for early in the fall that they dropped to in that era. In ninety-two, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
4: they they were yeah, they were looking to do too much, yeah.
2: Yeah. So so we get to ninety-five. And the one on the list here, I really like this match, especially involving Angelo Papo, Rick Flair, Randy Savage. Um, maybe not the finish that you would be expecting going in. Uh, you know, Randy is out to avenge his father and the attack but uh on father's day on father's day but in fact rick gets the victory in this match and i mean you're talking about old rivals going back to their their wwf history of course just a few years earlier it's kind of crazy looking now maybe it's just because we're older but it seemed like at the time that their wwf feud had been like a long time ago (laughs) it's like only three years you know. changing
4: promotions does wonders. People have forgotten this because we just had one big national promotion for so long. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah, when it happens in a different promotion, it's like a whole new world, man. Yeah. It's like it never happened.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you look at this match and you think about how, you know, Vince thought Randy's wrestling was behind him and wanted to announce full time. And, you know, he's on a mission to show that he can still work. And he's out there with Ric Flair, who at this point is 46 years old and still doing top level stuff. Great, great match. Actually,
0: if I was going to look at the whole show, I didn't pick anything from 95, but if I was going to look at the whole show, I'd probably go with Pillman and Alex Wright,
1: mm-hmm. even
0: though, like, I'm a long-term Pillman guy, even though they always beat him. They always beat him. Mm-hmm. Anytime he gets some push, like, this is going to be the moment, they beat him.
4: Yeah. It, it was... It, that was when he first started showing the heel tendencies that he would... When he obviously turned horse for that match, like, he was like... um, and he did it with like the Johnny B. Bad match too later in the year. Pillman had kind of a nice little run. that, that is a fun match, him and Alex Wright. He's, he's like a salty baby, baby face. Yeah, yeah, he's just like it, it's cool. And, and you know, it was funny too because the diehards did not like Alex Wright's baby face push at all. That's one of the. But
0: also, that's mm-hmm. that's Pillman's backyard.
4: Yeah, Cause cause they,
0: one more reason for the crowd to to boo Alex Wright and cheer him. Yes, this was in Dayton.
4: Yeah. Down, just down the 71 there for me and um you know or or as they call it in King of the Ring 93 the heartland of America we yes. never refer to it as Dayton <laughs> Ohio it is only the heartland of America we're not going to mention the city it's just is um you know Ryan you kind of touched on this a little bit with the savage flare match um and comparing it to mania 8 uh, it's not as good as Maniate. Sorry, PWO message board. Sometimes they go a little strong over hyping things, but that's okay. We all like have our favorites. Um, this is kind of similar to Maniate just with Angelo Puffo in place of Elizabeth, right? Mm-hmm. It's Savage avenging someone in the family. It, and it, the other difference is Ric Flair wins here. Um, this probably is the only good thing from the first six months of 95 WCW, which is a wretched, <laughs> wretched, promotion i mean we talked about 91 earlier the first six months of 95 give 91 a run for its money Whoo! it is just the hogan loving baby and if you don't like hulk hogan do not watch the first six months of 1995 <laughs> wcw seconded
2: yeah justin we're done talking about the uh the 91 bash so you are safe to return here <laughs> <laughs> Phew. i made a joke on the air that justin has had it with his discussion of 91 bash. <laughs> he's left got up out of his chair and he left um Justin, anything from 95 bash that you want to discuss did you have Flair savage down
3: yeah did- I, and, I, and i'm assuming you guys already Talked about uh, the Renegade versus Arn Anderson being on your <laughs> list. Yeah,
4: as I mentioned, the first six months of
2: 1995 <laughs> no. were trash. The intro of that show has the Renegade in it. It's something like the Renegade's on fire. Really, <laughs> <laughs> really.
4: <laughs> Graham, correct me if I'm wrong. Was he not hyped for his debut as the ultimate surprise?
2: Yeah, and that's
4: okay. what I bought
0: Uncensored. I was I was 13 years old, going, "Wow,
4: they're bringing Warrior, cool!" And then they did not. The ultimate surprise. I mean, there had to be a lawsuit, right?
2: If
4: not, has the statute of limitations gone by? Because I might like just bring one to hell of it now well, that we're talking
2: about well, What he's about. not telling you is Graham spent the next about 18 months sending letters to Atlanta looking for a refund of that pay-per-view.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I remember being on the school bus the next day talking to another kid who ordered the pay-per-view. And I'm talking telling him, I don't think that was Warrior.
4: <laughs> and the kid's going, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That was him. Yeah. There is a second Ultimate Warrior after all. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, let's let's move forward to '96. All right, because '96 is a damn good show. I, I mentioned that we just did the Top Rope Nation Classics on ECW One Night Stand, uh, 2006. Number two, the show that we almost did was Great American Bash '96. Behind the scenes, we were kind of hoping that was going to win the poll. It did not. We go That's with okay. The, we love you, vote. We we <laughs> go to we go with what the patrons choose. Patrons voted for ECW One Night Stand, but in the future, we will probably cover this show. And on it, you get the WCW debut of Rey Mysterio taking on Dean Malenko for the cruiserweight championship. I mean, just a you know, a showcase showing that the business is changing. This is how WCW was setting themselves apart from the WWF, you know, as everybody knows when they brought in the cruiserweights. And this is a phenomenal match. You know, you might think that Mysterio coming in with some hype, they want to put the title on him, they don't. He loses the match. Uh, but it is a, a spectacular one, so this is on my list. Anyone else have this? Yeah, oh, yeah, love this match.
0: <laughs> I'm
2: <laughs> I around the horn, probably. Yeah, I
0: really ha- no, I did not have this match, but I do have another match from the show, and it was a coin toss.
3: John um, Tenta, Big Bubba Rogers, <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes. I, you know, I'll just say, you know, I think the most famous thing about this match, I'm interested to know, I because I, I have two matches from the show, so I'm a, a, maybe guessing that. Graham and I are are in agreement on the second one. There's a lot you could pick. This is, is, you know, 89 and 96 are just like the two standouts from the entire run of the bash, pay-per-view wise. I mean, just 89 is the best of that era. And this is one of the best Bischoff era shows forever. You get the debut of the NWO, of course. But I think the interesting thing behind goes on behind the scenes with Dean and Ray here. So you guys have probably heard this story, but it bears repeating for anyone who may not have heard it. Ray shows up in the locker room. This is his debut. And people in the locker room laughed at him. They're like, you're putting this person on pay-per-view. He's so small. And nobody was laughing after the match. They were all like, you know, trying to run in line, and be the first to kiss his ass when he came mm. back. I mean, vintage WCW. So that's like a fascinating thing that like people are like, who, you're putting this child on pay-per-view? And, you know, he, he went up there and killed it. And like the first couple high spots... He hits in this match. The announcers have like no idea what they have just seen. Look, God, thank God Mike today was yeah, out, there out there because yeah. T- Tony and Dusty, who Dusty kills me this whole pay per view. I mean, they would have been lost without today. But um, just a great match and a great feud. You mentioned Ray does not win his debut. He does eventually win the cruiserweight title. Uh, I think about a month. I think they want he wins it the night after Bash at the Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my favorite match of theirs is actually the one at Havoc. Um, but, mm. yeah, there, it's a great five-match series in 96 that gets both guys over. Dean Malenko in 1996 got organically over as a babyface by the end of the year. Give me 96 WCW crowds, not these
2: people, <laughs>
4: you know, who want to wear let-me-in shorts.
1: <laughs>
2: no, this is uh... – yeah, at this point, uh Hurricane Rana had not made the lexicon of Tony Schiavone. Everything's a Frankensteiner in this match. But uh yeah, today is out there to help kind of paint the story and does a good job. And yeah, it's it's phenomenal. And they gave him a lot of time too. The match is about 18 minutes long. I think it's like the second longest. Yeah, the second longest match on the show, only behind Flair and Arn against uh the NFLers, Kevin Green and Steve McMichael. So
4: yeah. Well, and you know, to we should hit on that real quick because we mentioned Mid card matches not going long, not overstaying their Welcome back in the day. What was so unique, and obviously we all know this, and I think most people listening know this. Um, you know, this era of WCW, the main eventers couldn't go very long. But yeah. you had the, the cool thing was you had the great workers underneath, and they did. And that dynamic worked really well, actually, just giving the undercard guys more time. And then, you know, people were happy with what they got out of the main events sometimes.
2: Graham, did you have a Falls, a certain Falls Count Anywhere match from this show on your list?
0: you know, I did. Yes. (laughs) Um, so I, I remember, um, I really wanted to order this pay-per-view. Uh, my family goes up and we were in, we were in Panama city, Florida at the time. We drive up to North Carolina because we're going to stay in a little cabin, a little log cabin for a week. Do you know what little log cabins don't have? They don't have cable and they don't have (laughs) pay-per-view But because we are in North Carolina the night of the pay-per-view the pay per view's over the local news because kevin green was a carolina panther the local news had highlights from the match wow wow so i was already sucked in from the build and then i remember watching oh my god it's big enough that it made the local news here oh my gosh and then um watching nitro i think the next night or you know the next week whatever it was Everyone's talking about the Falls County Anywhere match. Everyone's talking about Rey Mysterio, Dean Malenko. Everyone's talking about the end of the not NWO, but the outsiders. There were so many huge talking points coming out of this show. And I remember this was so rare at the time. They made an ad, a commercial, that you could order the VHS for only $20. I did that immediately. Just because if you look at the first six months of '96 and WCW, it's almost like a before and after. So, if you ever talk about WCW, there's WCW before Hulk Hogan and there's WCW after Hulk Hogan. In 1996, there's WCW before the Great American and Bash and there's a WCW after the Great American and Bash. So this show gets the ball rolling for everything that comes after the cruiserweights, the NWO. Um, you know the Benoit Sullivan, the the ECW type violence that was starting to come in. Everything starts on that night. Even the reformation of the Horsemen. So many huge things coming out of it.
4: Yeah, the, the, I, I'm gonna say it. Full disclosure: I love Ric Flair and Arn Anderson versus Kevin Green and Mongo on the show. Like, I mean, I like with the follow up angle with Mongo being. I mean, you're a Chicago Bear guy. You had to love number seventy six.
2: Oh man, uh, I love joining the him. Horsemen. No oh, wrestling, yeah, yeah.
4: But I mean. Kevin Green was a real natural. I know other people have said it before. There's a spot early in that match where, you know, obviously Rick and R are two of the more decorated wrestlers. So they're going to out wrestle him. But then Green reverts to his football and like starts doing these shoulder tackles on him. And like the crowd is so into it. That is good stuff, man. Mm-hmm. That is really, really good stuff. And, you know, with the false count anywhere, it's such a novel brawl at the time. Like, you didn't like. If you weren't watching ECW, you did not see stuff like that, really, in 1996. You know, them brawling into the crowd, into the bathroom. In the bathroom. Dusty Rhodes saying, there's a woman in the men's room. I mean, that will <laughs> never not be funny. Um, but they're yeah, going, was,
0: They're going to get some relief,
4: baby. Yeah, yes, he <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just cannot stop making toilet jokes, yes. Um, yeah, that is such a great line. Yeah. Um, and Benoit <laughs> wins, actually. My God, Chris Benoit won a WCW paper. I mean, no, that, that's certainly, you know, not something that anyone's going to rejoice about now. But at the against, time, yeah. Against the guy who had been feuding
0: with Hulk Hogan for the longest time. That was that was a big shock to me, too. He got owned. And that really, if if I wasn't already a huge Benoit fan, that was the moment. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And that angle afterwards, if anyone's unclear and is watching this, it wasn't watching the time when Arn comes out. And people are like unclear if Arn's gonna help the fellow horseman. They were doing this weird horseman storyline where they were falling apart, and then they just kind of jumped it when you know the, the promotion really got going. So yeah, and the, the pop when Arn like reaffirms that he's on Ben side is just so awesome, man. And I mean hunts Kevin Sullivan and Baltimore explode. Yeah, I mean that's horseman country, so it was the perfect place to do it. So
2: yeah, excellent, good, good stuff. Yeah, 96 bash is an all timer. Um, now, when we get to the later year, years of the Great American Bash, I mean, post '98, I have nothing on my list. I went through; I didn't have a lot of memories of watching those shows. I I did at the time, and uh, I think I forgot a lot of it for good reason. But uh, when I went back through those cards, I'm like, yeah, '99 and I, Like, nothing's gonna, nothing's gonna make the list here. But '97, '98, a couple of things stood out. Um, Kyle, let me just throw it to you. What do you got from '97 and '98?
4: I have nothing from ninety-seven. Um, there's some good stuff on there, but nothing that really stood out. Like the Dallas Page Randy Savage yeah. match is good, but again, I don't think it's my favorite of theirs. I think I like Spring Stampede better yeah. if you put a gun to my head. Um, but from ninety-eight, obviously one of the more remembered things of that era was the best of seven or eight, uh, with Benoit and Booker. And that's a really good match. This is the final match. Booker wins and What kind of stinks, um, you know, there's a lot of things that stink when you watch Benoit matches now, but um, one that's a little lowered out is this was the period where WCW began getting very frustrating in that you had mid-card guys who were clearly ready to break out of the pack, these two included, and they were not rewarded. This was actually the first WCW pay-per-view I did not watch live in like over a year and a half. So my, if anyone thinks, oh my God, like you ordered all those pay-per-views, you had so much money. No, my buddy had a scrambler and we watched them all illegally. But um, <laughs> I think the statute of limitations is passed on that. But yeah, I remember this was the first that we're like, you know, guys, we're not going to get together for this one. Um, and yeah, but you know, I've watched the match many times subsequently. And yeah, Ben Booker, they kill it in the opener and the rest yeah. of the pay-per-view stinks.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 98's a weird show because in the main event, You've got Bret Hart tagging <laughs> with Hulk Hogan when they were doing that weird is Bret in the NWO, is he not kind of thing? Like he had been involved with Benoit and Booker's uh series where he offered Benoit like a shot a shot with the NWO, it seemed like he did want to take their help. Um, if you watch that main event and you watch Bret Hart come out next to Hulk Hogan, I mean Graham, he he grew up a big Bret Hart fan, like I did and like Justin did he looks like he wants to be anywhere but this show if you watch and, it. and
0: also to, to put in some context here i mean this is this is what nine months after montreal yeah and and the go-to match upon him coming into ww is him versus hogan and now they're tagging so he's he's already dead in the water
2: yeah, he already he's already like just another guy Luckily, uh, Michael Buffer gets the introduction right on this show and does call him <laughs> Bret Hart, not Bret Clark. So that was that was a win. <laughs> that was such a big internet <laughs> thing in '98. Remember, everyone what?
4: would always make Bret Clark jokes after that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bretton, Bretton Hogan against uh, Roddy Piper and Randy Savage. But yeah, I mean, to think where Bret was a year earlier, and then when you watch him in this match, you're like, "Geez, what are they doing?" And what a wasted opportunity. But Booker and Benoit. Yeah, that's a good one. I I had written down in my notes the uh the Savage DDP match from the year prior cuz I was trying to get something from 97 in there. But then yeah, post post 98, there's really nothing to speak of. But yeah, Savage and, and Page, they had a good feud. Um as Kyle mentioned, probably not their best match, but you know, if you're going through the uh the history of the Great American Bash, 97's worth a watch with Savage and DDP, I think. It, um it-
4: All the matches are very unique on 97. Like you just like have no idea what match is going to happen next. They like go Ultimo Dragon, Psychosis, Steiner's Harlem Heat. There's like a freaking women's match. I think Glacier and Mortis. You're like, my God, the the variety of styles in this promotion.
0: Well, you can really tell starting in 97 that the focus is on Nitro. The focus is not on the pay-per-view. Like they will take your pay-per-view money, but they really want you to watch every Monday instead.
2: Mm -hmm. For sure. That's a great point.
4: Yeah, because what's the best, like, 1997 WCW pay-per-view? That's whatever. It's hot. They're all fun? Uh, Yeah, because it was, like, a hot promotion. But, like, I'm trying to think, like, none of them, like, really stood out.
0: Halloween Havoc, I would probably pick. Well, yeah, because with Eddie and Ray, yeah. yeah. But, like, the whole show is either – it's either phenomenal matches like that or super hot feuds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm. You know, you were talking about uh, Brett in 98 at the great American bash correct me wrong is that the show where somebody phoned a that called the arena and said Stu Hart had
2: died oh it might have been I forget when that happened I I want to I think that was a great American bash show maybe
4: I'm almost positive now that it happened because they like Bischoff said like you don't have to work the show because when you, when you mentioned Brett – I mean, obviously, Brett is, is not, you know, exchanging Christmas cards with Hulk Hogan at this point. But it, when you mentioned how he looked, that, like, kind of jogged a memory. I'm like, I think this might have been the show where somebody phoned the arena and to, to tell Brett Stu had died, which was a lie. Obviously, it was a prank call, which is a just a freaking hideous thing to do. It this, was.
2: It was a show. Yeah, I just Googled this it.
4: Is Bre- okay, I was going to say because it's Brett's only bash
2: match.
4: Yep. Okay, all right, yeah, so that makes sense, yeah. How about that, by Hmm.
2: the way? So that's another reason he didn't want to be there. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at an article right now. Yeah, Bischoff and Dylan offered Brett the night off. uh, But later, Brett received confirmation his father was actually alive and well. But still shaken by the incident. uh, the, The prank obviously kind of stayed with him the rest of the night. So they were booking him bad. Yeah, that on top of it. Yeah, Brett looks like he wants to be anywhere but the Great American Bash that night. Um, did you guys have any other matches on your list in, in the later part of the '90s that we should hit on before we wrap this up, Graham or Justin? No, <laughs> no.
0: 2000, 2000. It's an interesting time frame because I was willing to give the the new blood and the Millionaire Club a chance. Um, I like the concept of taking all the established guys and making them the the underdog. Same, um but it just it it went sideways so quickly
4: is is great american bash 2000 the the heel turn that not even vince mcmahon can stop
2: (laughs) a freaking
4: (laughs) hideous idea that was remember eric bischoff goes on tv and says that and just totally telegraphs that bill goldberg is going to turn heel because there was the rumors that steve austin that's when you started reading steve austin might turn heel, which was another stupid idea while we're talking about those. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and Eric goes, not even Vince McMahon can stop this heel turn. Yeah, sure. He was really staying up all night thinking about that one, (laughs) Eric.
2: Well, hopefully we've given you guys something to go back on the WWE Network if you're international or Peacock and re-watch. We always love doing these historical shows. We love bringing on guests. Had a spectacular one today with Graham Coffin. Hopefully, we can bring Graham back in the future, and it won't be five years, Graham, until I get you on the podcast again next time. Uh, tell the listeners where they can find you, and if you've got anything in the works and uh, wrestling-wise for the future.
0: Uh, biggest, the easiest place would be Twitter at the history of WWE. Um, feel, feel free to tweet me, ask me questions. I may not know the answers, but I'll make something up.
2: <laughs> it's the only way to do it, man. That's how we survive. No, this was a lot of fun. I re- really appreciate connecting with you here and uh, getting to talk to you. It's a good time.
0: Yeah, and and if I can add one thing about the bash, you know, when you look at the beginning of it and you look at the end of it, it begun it begins as a unique live experience that you're not going to find anywhere else. It ends as an afterthought because we want you to watch the show from home, and you can see that progression. We want you to buy a ticket. We want you to be there. We're going to have fireworks. We're going to have a concert. We're going to have, you know, blow off to matches that you've been waiting for for months and months and months. And it ends as just another pay per view during a week in which we have, you know, 15 hours of television to fill.
2: Yeah. Well put. Well put. Justin, Kyle, any closing thoughts from you guys? I'm ready to get started on uh,
3: part two, two hours of the WWE version. Let's go
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> 2000's WWE, a bash yeah. oh yeah Kyle. jbl's
4: first title win <laughs> that's true yeah. that's true yes. uh no man I, I love talking old wrestling two shows in a row guys two shows in a row love talking about old wrestling with you guys thank you so much Graham, for coming on it was great and uh you know hopefully one day we can convince ryan that top rope nation classic can become the main thing and then we'll just brand when we talk about present
2: wrestling, top rotation present. We <laughs> can
4: just yeah. Yeah. We can just flip it all on its head because man, it's, it's just great to go down memory lane. All
2: right. Hey, well, speaking about that, I should mention that uh, if you want to hear us talk more current wrestling, cause we have been doing these classic shows the last couple of weeks, uh, Patreon, or if you have the Spotify green room app, Kyle and I will be on there next week talking about the latest news in pro wrestling. You can listen live on the Spotify green room app. Follow myself and kyle and then we post them in podcast forms as a top rope nation extra the bonus show over on patreon every week so if you want to hear us talking about the wwe releases for example that just happened yesterday i'm sure we're going to be addressing that uh next week and all the latest with aew and wwe Yeah,
4: i was going to ask you i assume we're doing a dynamite post show as well uh we
2: could we could
4: (laughs) it's always always fun doing the game planning live on the air yeah we could (laughs) a window
2: into the backstage of Top Rope Nation there yeah we'll be talking about that but uh, yeah follow the show on Twitter at Top Rope Nation we have a Facebook Pro Wrestling Discussion Group join that search Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion you can find Kyle at TRP Kyle Justin's at Justin Joint and I am at Ryan Drosty. we will see you guys next time this has been episode 213 of Top Rope Nation. Enjoy your Independence Day weekend. Watch some classic wrestling. Catch you next time.